You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Vault Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here on another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in, whether you're watching this on YouTube, whether you're listening to this on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys and all the uh, support you give us, all the effort you guys put in to helping out the show and, and making it, you know, helping it grow and spread here even in the offseason when we're still a good two-ish months away from two and a half months, I guess, from the start of the season, actually, maybe less than that now. If I do the math right, I think we're under two months actually now, man. Time is flying, Gene. Uh, but we're under two months now from the start of the season for the men's side, and I think for Lady Vols too. So uh, I know it's obviously right in the beginning, uh, kind of heart of football season for Vol fans, but basketball will be here before you know it. Uh, some practices and stuff already happening on campus. Saw, you know, the Tennessee Hoops Twitter account putting out videos of them practicing together and doing some scrimmaging and doing some work. So they're practicing together, Gene. It's it's it'll be basketball time before you know it here um, in the college world. So again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Give this video a like if you're on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if you were uh, there and haven't yet, and then also subscribe to the podcast if you prefer the audio medium of the show. So, Gene, we last time we talked was about recruiting. Uh, Tennessee's been very hot on the recruiting show lately, but we also since la- since we last spoke, we had a full schedule drop for Tennessee. We had talked before about the schedule when it was uh, the non-conference. And then I think we also talked a little bit about when the SEC teams were announced for Tennessee, but not necessarily they didn't have the actual schedule uh, for Tennessee at that point. It was just kind of we knew who they're going to play, who was on the road, who was at home, um, an SEC play. But now we have the full schedule released for everything from the start of the season to the end of it. So I'll run down that really quick. Uh, try not to bore people to death with it, but I'll try to get just kind of give you a, a lay of the land in terms of you know what the schedule looks like for Tennessee. Uh, you start regular season November seventh against Tennessee Tech. Then you go to Nashville to finish up the um, the series with Colorado to play the Buffaloes in Nashville and Bridgestone Arena. Host Florida Gulf Coast, former Dunk City over there. And then you go up to, or I guess, excuse me, not up to, you go over to the Bahamas for the Battle for Atlantis, where you'll play Butler first. And then uh, Tennessee will play either BYU or USC. And then uh, hopefully playing in a title match for that one. And that is in late November around Thanksgiving. Come back at the end of November and host McNeese State. Then you host Alcorn State, host Eastern Kentucky. And then you go up to Brooklyn to face Maryland. And then, Gene, you go on the road for your first uh, yeah, first true road matchup of the season. Uh, it'll be on December 17th in Tucson, Arizona, to take on the Arizona Wildcats. You know, Tennessee hosted them last year. Now they're going to go on the road and play them. And then you come back to Knoxville uh, a little bit before Christmas and host Austin P. And then you have Christmas break. And then you get to the end of December and start SEC play on the road again. Feels like Tennessee starts on the road and SEC play a lot. Uh, they play Ole Miss. And the, the calendar turns to the new year. Then you come back to Knoxville, host Mississippi State, on the road against South Carolina, host Vanderbilt, host Kentucky. So that's the first time you face Kentucky is January 14th. Back on the road to face Mississippi State, also on the road to face LSU, host Georgia, 
host Texas for the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That's obviously going to be a big one. On the road against Florida, host Auburn and Bruce Pearl the day after my birthday, Gene. Uh, February 4th was when that one's going to be. Looking to get a, a nice some tickets for that one for my birthday. Uh, then you go to Middle Tennessee for a quote-unquote road game against Vanderbilt. Host Missouri, host Alabama, on the road against Kentucky on February 18th. Uh, go on the road, stay on the road, and go to Texas A&M. Host South Carolina, host Arkansas, and then you close the season. It feels like almost every year now, it feels like Tennessee is closing the SEC regular season playing Auburn and they'll close it on the road. So Tennessee, uh, the senior game or senior day this year will be February 28th against Arkansas. And then Tennessee will close out the regular season on the road. Same way they start the SEC season, uh, Gene, on the road this time against Auburn though. So I, I think we talked a little bit about the non-conference schedule before it being, you know, tough, but not, I don't think as grueling as Tennessee's had some non-conference schedules in the past. Obviously, I think Texas is going to be the top team that Tennessee faces, unless, you know, of course, Tennessee gets to the end of uh, the Battle for Orlandis. I, I do not recall the whole field there, but I know it's a pretty interesting field. And if you get the, the you know title game for that one, there's a good chance they're going to be facing. Um, I'll, I'll look up the, the slate of teams while you're talking and find out who they are, because I know it's some pretty good teams. Maryland will be interesting. Arizona will be interesting. But again, I think Texas will be the cream of the crop for Tennessee's non-conference schedule. And then I think for the first time in a few years, Gene, I think Tennessee's opening for SEC play, again, right now, looking at this in mid-September, I think it's actually not bad. Against You start on the road, which not going to be fun. You play Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt as your first four SEC games. That's all, I would say, games that Tennessee should win. Again, that's right now in mid-September, all on paper. But those are four games I think Tennessee should win. And then you face Kentucky, uh, for your fifth game, and it's at home, uh, which is where you beat them last year. And of course, Tennessee didn't lose a home game last season. So even the fifth game, that's not so bad considering, you know, Kentucky's, I think, I think it's going to be pretty good this year. But your first game against them is at home. Then back on the road against Mississippi State, LSU will be a very intriguing team this year with basically being a, well, not basically, they are a whole new team this year. And then Georgia and then Texas. So really up into that Texas game, I mean, again, this is very early. This season's still a month and a half or more away from starting. I see maybe one, maybe, again, a couple road games in there, so maybe two SEC losses up until that Texas game, which I think <laughs> I think Tennessee has a chance, Gene, to start off really well this year with both non-conference slate being a little easier than years past and with the start of the SEC season, I think, being easier than what Tennessee's had in the past. I think Tennessee has a really good chance of starting off really hot and you and I were talking before we started recording here and I think this is kind of the I wouldn't say best case scenario but as you said I think it's kind of ideal for the way this team is constructed to kind of have the ability to kind of ease into things a little bit um obviously your second game of the season against Colorado so that's not going to be you know technically easing into things but I still think Tennessee should win that game especially with it being in the state of Tennessee but all in all like that's not a that's not a bad first, what, two, I guess, three months of the schedule. Like, that's a that's a very, very winnable games. And, but not against, you know, not against top tier teams that I think will be like Elite Eight, Final Four um, caliber on all of those games. But you're playing teams that are, I think, a lot of handful of teams that will make the NCAA tournament. And I think this team, uh, while returning a lot of pieces from last year, still has some very key newcomers that need to, you know, get their feet underneath them um, in the orange and white. And, this is a pretty, I think it, to me, it looks like a pretty strong possible start for Tennessee this season on the schedule. 
Right. So at the beginning of season, when coaches are putting schedules together, um, I typically like to look at what the schedules look like. And in a lot of cases, you know, at least specifically in Tennessee's case, uh, the way they schedule is kind of, you know, will will tell me a lot about how maybe the, the coach feels about the team. So when uh, the year that Tennessee went to the Sweet 16 with Grand Admiral, that that was a difficult non-conference schedule. I mean, obviously they had Gonzaga. I want to say, you know, they, I can't remember if they played Villanova or somebody up in New York. I can't remember exactly. I, I just, mm-hmm. I just joined the beat. And I just remember people were like blowing my phone up. Or, or no, it was the Gonzaga game. And then they, they played Memphis. So they had a bunch of games. Uh, and that's kind of what you want. Like, if you don't necessarily know what to expect from your team, then you schedule accordingly. Like, if you know you've got guys that you kind of want to get their feet wet in terms of just, like, getting on-court action, then you don't schedule crazy. And, and so, you know, you look at the non-conference schedule, obviously – there's some uh, there's some nice games in there, but there's also Gulf Coast, who has a brand new coach, Tennessee Tech, who's lost players, uh, Colorado, who you know you don't really necessarily feel is like all that much of a threat. Um, you know, you know, obviously the battle for Atlantis. You've got Butler, you've got BYU, USC. Uh, I think NC State's on that other side. Um, you know, like you know, so, some teams that are Dayton's on the other side, Kansas, Wisconsin, like. You, you've got some other uh, some teams that at least look like they could be pretty formidable, um, but again, it's just a chance to build. And obviously, you don't turn down a chance to play in the Battle for Atlantis. That's just kind of how it works. You just don't do that because then you come back and you play McNeese State, Alcorn State, Eastern Kentucky. Those are the everybody feels good. Somebody somebody has some sort of uh, ridiculous one of the lesser known guys has some ridiculous shooting performance and the fan base immediately starts questioning why that kid doesn't play more <laughs> later in the season when inevitably, you know, that your team goes to like a, some shooting woes. Um, then, like I said, then even, you know, you get Maryland and Arizona right before conference play. And again, you look at conference play and you've got teams, you know, who, uh, there are, you know, like you said, there are questions about, um, you know, I understand Ole Miss is a diff, is a tough team, but this should be a win. Mississippi State, kind of the same thing. Uh, South Carolina, I know they got Gigi Jackson, but that's still a young team. Uh, that that's not that I think's going to have some struggles. I mean, when you look at some of the players that Lamont brought in, I mean, like he brought in the best player from uh, the Citadel, uh, who was like a six six kid, who you know, obviously a very a very He's a good player, but he's like a six-six post player, and he's not Grant Williams. Yep. Um, so there's only so much that you can truly expect to get there. So, and then you have a Vanderbilt team that lost some key people. Obviously, lost Scotty Pippen Jr. and Rodney Chapman. Um, you know, they're basically their entire backcourt uh, from that team, uh, and so you've got some opportunities before you get into Kentucky. The LSU, who you don't know anything about this year, probably the great, the biggest wild card. Uh, the only thing you know about LSU is that they likely won't be playing in March. Um, yeah, for, for one reason or the other, I can't remember if they're yeah, if they're facing yeah, a, a suspension or not. But for one reason or another, I think you're right about that. 
Yeah, like I, I can confidently say that they're not going to be playing in March. Could be wrong because you know crazy things happen and <laughs> investigations seem to take forever. But is what it is. So, um, so I, I don't see the heavy hitters in this league, uh, especially when you're talking about you know Georgia has a new coach, Florida has a new coach. Um, you know, like you, you've got spots there where it's going. I mean, when, when as we speak here on September 14th. There's not really a ton of knowledge as to what to expect from some of the teams that you're that you're playing. Now you'll have more information come January. Um, in a lot of these cases, like teams that may be good, may, maybe not. We don't know. Um, but right now, we don't have a ton of knowledge. So at least on, on this date, you feel confident. You feel comfortable about where your schedule is because you know you could get into February and have already been around. 19 wins. So even if you struggle a little bit in February, you can go three and five in February and you still feel pretty good about yourself because you're 22 and 10 or something along those lines. So again, I think if you're a team that there are questions about, look, I get it. Josiah is back. Uh, I think we're going to get into him a little bit later. Uh, Vescovy's back. Um, And I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of just like key players that's back. And I'm really kind of, I don't know of any. Oh, I'm sorry. The point guard, um, yeah, Ziegler. Ziegler. Like you've got the you've got those three. Those are the three key players that are back, and you feel comfortable with those pieces. But everything else around it, there are questions, and that's you know with the apologies to Plavsic, uh you know who is a try hard player, but I think he's just pretty limited. But you know, obviously, you know, like that's not, not a kid. You you know what you're getting from him, but. I can't say that the answer to that is an awful lot. So uh, with some pieces that need to be figured out, yeah, like you, you certainly want to have a schedule like this that gives you an opportunity to figure some stuff out, figure out how good the Phillips kid's going to be, um, you know, figure out if BJ Edwards is going to be a nice little hometown sort of story, the kid from Johnson City who, you know, plays his high school ball in Knoxville and people fell in love with, uh had an had a really great game against some really great talent. <laughs> um, and, and one time I saw him play live when Fox Catholic played IMG back in 2020, um, or maybe it was 2019. I can't remember. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, like you you've got some you've got a lot of questions that you don't necessarily know the answer to yet. So you want to have a schedule to where you know you get through the non conference, you get into the early part of conference play. And you slowly start to answer those questions, and you don't have to you don't have to have those answers immediately. By the way, the other Battle for Atlantis teams, uh, obviously Tennessee, BYU, Butler, USC are the ones that just mentioned. But uh, the other big hell on her besides Tennessee probably uh, is Kansas, uh, Wisconsin, Dayton, and NC State are the other ones too. I, I thought Kansas was one, but I could not remember. Uh, but I thought it was because I thought I remember talking about a potential of another Tennessee Kansas game. Uh, it would be it would be interesting if it ended up being Tennessee and Kansas playing in that title game for that gene because then you'd have Tennessee playing um, two Big Twelve teams in the same season, which doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often that Tennessee, you know, that any school will play um, two schools from a power conference in the same season that aren't you know in your current conference. A lot of times, you know, Tennessee last year played two teams in the, uh, or technically they ended up playing three because they played Longwood uh, from that whatever conference that was not Patriot, but the, that small conference, um, 
you know, big that, South. Yeah. Thank you. That happened. The big South, like that'll happen. You'll, you'll play yeah. a couple of teams from maybe a, a smaller conference like that, or, a, you know, a mid major conference, but not often that you play two teams from a major conference that aren't your conference. So it'd be cool if Tennessee played Kansas and then also played Texas, but I also think it'd be cool if Tennessee played Wisconsin or NC state. So, or Dayton, I mean, I don't think it'll be Dayton, but it could be Dayton. So, uh, we'll be see what the battle for Atlantis brings. Again, we know they'll play BYU. We know whatever happens in that BYU game, Tennessee will end up playing or Butler, excuse me. Tennessee will play Butler to start off. And then whatever happens that game, win or lose, Tennessee will play either BYU or USC. It's just a matter of if they win or lose that game, kind of what happens afterwards. So we'll see, but Tennessee has those games. And as you mentioned, like there, there's, I, I think you, you're going to feel good unless there's injury, unless something, you know, really strange happens. I think as a Vol fan, you're probably going to feel good about where Tennessee is heading into SEC play and then heading into that first matchup with Kentucky again on January 14th, mid-January. I think Tennessee is going to feel, Vol fans will feel pretty good about where Tennessee is um, record-wise at least because as you kind of laid out there, Gene, there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of flux and kind of new in the SEC this year. There's a lot of potential for these teams. You talked about South Carolina. I mean, I, I think, you know, I know we both have kind of a potential to be biased about South Carolina because of <laughs> their head coaches, uh, you know, former head coach at the UTC who you covered uh, over there too. But, but as you mentioned, like they're still, they, they may have gotten the really, really talented number one overall prospect to come, you know, play for them, but they're still overall going to be pretty young and pretty new. And I don't know who all, how much talent they're going to have around him necessarily. Um, I think they'll be, they'll be a decent team, but Ole Miss, I don't know how good they're going to be. Mississippi state, I don't know. I, I expect Vanderbilt to take another. Like, I mean, I know they lost Scotty Pippen, so I don't know. I think they have they finally maybe have found something and and have got a chip on their shoulder with their head coach uh, of kind of playing and, and seeing you know what they can do for the next step. But I, I still think overall Tennessee fans are going to be fairly happy with where Tennessee's record stands um, by the time you get to that Kentucky game, and then probably by the time you get to the Texas game by the, you know, for the big 12 SEC challenge at the end of January. So, uh, Gene, this is going to be, we'll obviously preview the season more once we get closer to it. And, uh, oops, our mic was messed up there. Uh, and once we get, you know, closer to the season, we'll do our predictions like we did last year and kind of previewing and <clears throat> we'll probably follow a similar cadence. If you guys are new to the podcast or new to the show last year, I want to say, uh, I can't remember when exactly. I, I can look it up in a second, but I know close to when the season began, we did a roster review for both uh, the men's and women's teams in two different episodes where we looked at, you know, recapping kind of everything that happened in the offseason, all the departures, all the newcomers, and kind of expectations for the players that are returning and for the newcomers, and kind of just did a whole big roster breakdown and review of both the Vols and Lady Vols. So we'll do that again. And then at, shortly after that is when we did our season prediction piece episode, whatever, uh, where I don't recall, I don't think we gave like an exact record prediction for either, you know, the Vols or Lady Vols. We kind of gave our, um, actually that might've been when I had Maria, that might've been when I first had her on for the Lady Vols episode, but regardless for the men's side, Gene, I don't think we gave an exact record prediction, but we gave kind of a range and kind of how we felt about what the team could end up being. And, and we looked at it last year at the end of the, you know, season gene and they exceeded our expectations at the beginning of the year if you want to go back and you know 
as a listener and go back and that, that was before we did video. So it would just be the audio of the podcast. Go back and listen to our predictions where I think we predicted Tennessee to have um, by the end of the regular season, not just once you get in the March and everything. I think Gene, we both predict Tennessee to have like nine, 10 losses or close to that and thought that would be good. We thought Tennessee getting 22, 23 wins um, would be a pretty solid season and kind of where we expected them to. So I know people want to, harp on how the season ended and that's it's fair to still criticize we're not saying you can't criticize the team but I think a lot of people last year were kind of in this similar boat that we were and that we expected Tennessee to be pretty good and probably finish top four in the SEC in the regular season but I I, I still will I will go on record and say they, they exceeded my expectations from last year and I don't know about this team well again we're still a little too far out to really for me to have a full grasp on kind of what I expect the record necessarily to be but I mean there's a good chance this team could maybe exceed expectations again for me we'll get into some of the national expectations in a second but I mean last year's team exceeded expectations and this year's going to be a very interesting one to kind of try to nail down and even if the record to me might be really good by the time you're like getting into February because the quality of schedule I don't think is going to be as good in years past I still think it'll be you know good I'll be interested to see if Tennessee only has like three, four losses by the time you're getting into February, um, kind of where their RPI, where their net ranking and stuff is, Gene, because I feel like in years past, they've been very, they've been buoyed by having, buoyed by having a really good string of the schedule and playing a lot of really uh, high regarded teams. I still think they'll have a pretty good string of the schedule, but I don't think it's going to be as good in years past. So my point is the record may look really good, but the like the RPI, the Ken Palm ranking and stuff may not quite match up to what people maybe expect. But anyway, we'll, we'll get into the national expectations in a second, but I just kind of rambled a little bit about that because again, last year they exceeded expectations. The year before that they didn't, but again, it was a COVID year. So that was hard to really nail down. But um, I think this year though, Gene, I think if you're going to lean one way or the other for me in terms of ex- could they exceed expectations or are they more likely to, um, undermine what's the word I'm looking for to not to, to not reach expectations I guess uh, I think this team because they're a little more veteran um, at least in terms of comparing them to other teams in the country you look at you know the three guys that return there you look at Cam Wall who's coming back and hopefully stays healthy um, Roche coming back as a key bench player uh, even key isn't you know he's new to Tennessee but he's been in college for a while so you can technically I mean count him as at least an experienced college player um, I think because of all that, Tennessee, and then also bringing in Julian Phillips has a lot of potential. I think that to me makes me lean a little bit more towards exceeding expectations, but then you can also make, I think, an argument, and I'd like to hear your side of it, um, because of a lot of the new being brought in and also losing some key pieces like um, Kennedy Chandler, for example, from last year, that maybe you could also argue that they, they take a step back and underachieve a little bit compared to what expectations are. So before we get into the national stuff, Gene, I, I'm curious do you lean one way or the other? Do you think this team is more likely to kind of exceed expectations or underachieve? Because right now it's looking like consensus is Tennessee is a top 15, maybe top 10 team nationally. We'll get to talking about that in just a second about one specific poll, but um, I lean maybe towards overachieving before I say underachieving in this regard. Well, um, I'd probably lean a little more, yeah, sorry. I, I, we didn't talk about this one before, yeah, so sorry. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> it's fine. I, I, I just, 
I, I, I can't, I, honestly, I can't really go either way just because, um, you know, I know we're about to get into rankings and that'll probably, if, if what we're about to talk about is the consensus, then I would say they're going to underachieve that. Um, but we'll, we'll get in more than that. So it's probably just best to just move on now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, just go ahead and move on. Yeah. To it, Cause I, I think you're right. I think it, it goes in easier to the next thing we so i teased this at the end of the last episode uh so we talked about it a little bit already but i wanted to bring it back up again because um i'm gonna see if there's other there are we're again we're in mid uh september so there aren't a whole lot of rankings and stuff out but the the blue ribbon men's basketball uh preseason rankings came out uh a few weeks ago i don't remember um when exactly here goes i guess it was september 1st yeah uh because well around then because it looks like that was when this website for uh north carolina fans wrote about it so north carolina i think was actually number one in the blue ribbon poll it looks like according to oh wasn't isn't just the unc site it is the unc sites the official <laughs> unc basketball uh account or like you know website that wrote about it they are number one in the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook preseason top 25. That's a mouthful. Chris Dorch, who listeners here probably know who he is, has obviously been doing college basketball stuff for a very long time, uh, now with Blue, you know, with Blue Ribbon for a long time too. Uh, North Carolina is number one. You have Gonzaga two, Kentucky three, Houston four, Duke five, Arkansas six, which is interesting. That's the first or third, second SEC team, excuse me, with Kentucky third, Arkansas sixth, Kansas seventh, UCLA eighth, Baylor ninth, and then Tennessee at number ten. So that is your top ten. Uh, some other notable ones: Alabama at thirteen, Texas at fourteen, Auburn at fifteen, Arizona at nineteen, who Tennessee plays, Texas A and M at twenty one, Dayton, who Tennessee could play in the Battle for Atlantis at twenty three. So those are again some ones of note there that Tennessee will have on the schedule, and potentially uh, Dayton on the schedule as well. Um, depending on how the battle for Atlantis goes. So Tennessee being number 10 there, Gene with uh, being number three in the sec, obviously uh, Chris Dorch very high in Arkansas uh, because I think in part because they just had a massive recruiting hall um, in the off season. And also brought in again, just like he's had in years past some pretty good transfers too. Uh, Eric Musselman did uh, to Arkansas, Kentucky again, massive recruiting hall, but that's to be expected from them. We talked about that. I think last episode of, the, the best recruiters or highest ranked recruiters in college basketball, what the field of 68 did, which we'll talk about them again in a second. Uh, but they had Calipari number one. And that was to me, couldn't argue anybody else except for him at number one. Um, but Kentucky brought in again, just another elite class of recruiting. Arkansas brought in a really elite class of recruiting Tennessee, no slouch of recruiting either. And then also again, brought in uh, Terry key as a transfer, but also I, I think, we touched on this a little bit at the end of the show last time, Gene. I think as much as it is Tennessee brought in another solid recruiting class and with, you know, Julian Phillips being the, the headliner there, I think Tennessee's ranking has a little bit more to do with the fact that they return a pretty sizable chunk of their production from last year of guys who started or were basically starters in, in Sakai Ziegler's case, where you bring in, you know, you lose Kenny Chandler, you lose John Fulkerson, but those are really the only two major contributors you lose, unless I'm for some reason blanking on somebody. Uh, but those are obviously the, the two biggest ones, in my opinion, you lost. And Fulkerson wasn't, you know, wasn't the folky of old, but he was still obviously a contributor, still a guy who gave you 26, 27 minutes a game 
and was still productive and was still you know a guy that um was still i mean the the name of tennessee was he was he was the heart and soul of tennessee for years because he's the you know not, not hometown guy but he's the in-state guy um just obviously fans loved him a whole lot too. So he was those two. And then obviously he was Brendan Huntley Hatfield transferred out. Justin Powell transferred out. Uh, VJ Bailey transferred out. And then Quentin DeBonge uh, transferred out as well. But those you know, Huntley Hatfield was the biggest contributor of that group. But even then, like he wasn't, I don't think he's a massive loss in terms of what he gave you. He's maybe a massive loss based on potential, but we've, we've talked ad nauseum about him. Gene, I want to, keep rehashing Brandon Huntley Hatfield until the season begins. We can see what he does at Louisville, but Tennessee returns again, Zakai Ziegler, Josiah Jordan, James, Santiago Vescovi, Olivier Camaw is back healthy and hopefully stays that way. And then you still have a Jonas Adu and Urush Pashvik off the bench as, you know, guys who did well off the bench last year and even made, you know, starts. I don't think Adu did, but Urush definitely started um, a few games last year. They do, you know, they do didn't start. He played 19 games. He never started. Uh, but, but Urosh, by the way, started 21 games last year, played in all 35. In fact, he's one of the only players last year that played in all 35 games for Tennessee. You had him, Santi, and uh, Zakai, and actually Brendan Huntley Hatfield apparently appeared in all 35 games. Uh, but those are the only guys that played in all 35 games for Tennessee last year. You know, Kennedy missed a game. Uh, Josiah missed a few games. Camel obviously missed quite a few games. Forrestan missed a couple games. So you had, even Victor Bailey, I think he only missed one. There's obviously several games where he played uh, very little minutes in those games. But you're returning a big chunk of experience. And a lot of it is in spots that you'd like to have experience in. Uh, obviously, Zakai's only a sophomore, but he's still a guy who was here last year and is going to be you know your main point guard for the season. You bring back a guy in Josiah Jordan James, who is your best defender and started to really flash a lot of his offensive potential down the stretch last year. Vescovy is has quietly been one of the best three-point shooters in the SEC in his three years at Tennessee. Like it's 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 kind of remarkable to me how much he hasn't really been talked about as a three-point shooter, like as an elite three-point shooter, because he's been really good. He's he's got a really good shot, Gene, of finishing behind only Chris Lofton in a number of shooting categories by the time he is done at Tennessee. And it's going to be like you know, only behind Lofton with like three pointers made, three pointers attempted, three point percentage. Like the only guy he's going to finish that's going to be better than him as of all in a lot of those categories is going to be Chris Lofton. And yet I just don't feel like Vescovy's gotten the attention that uh, obviously not anywhere close to what Lofton did, but I just don't feel like he's gotten the attention and the recognition over the last few years uh, that maybe he deserves for how good of a shooter he's been. Uh, for Tennessee. And then again, you throw in, if Cam Walk can stay healthy, he kind of was starting to show a little bit more potential and kind of cashing in his potential last year before he got hurt. So I think Tennessee's ranking has more to do with um, the guys that return. But I don't, I feel like this is going to be an outlier. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't see Tennessee being a preseason top 10 team for the AP poll, for example. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, though, because I look at some of the teams that Tennessee's kind of around in Chris Dorch's rankings, Gene. Again, you have Kansas at 7, Arkansas at 6, UCLA 8, Baylor 9. Those are the kind of the four teams immediately in front of them. And the four teams that behind them are Creighton, Indiana, Alabama, Texas. And then you have Auburn at 15. Maybe Tennessee is going to be a top 10 team, Gene. I mean, it just I think it kind of... I think if Tennessee is a top 10 preseason team, it might speak more to the fact that there's just so much unknown 
with a lot of rosters in college basketball more than it does that I think maybe the actual potential of Tennessee's roster because I don't know that I from what I've seen of this team I'm ready to say top 10 I, I would say top 15 I would say I, I would put him at anywhere between kind of 15 to 13 maybe 12 I don't I just I don't know that maybe I'm wrong but I don't know that I would say this team is a top 10 team and to me top 10 for them is if Julian Phillips is a very solid contributor if Tyreek Key is healthy and is able to do you know do for Tennessee anywhere close to what he did at Indiana State. And then Josiah, again, has had, you know, is able to continue his offensive output, not what he was doing at the end of the year last year. I don't expect him to keep shooting 40 to 45% from three. But if he's still going to be a consistent offensive player for Tennessee along with his defense, then I think Tennessee's a top 10 team. I just don't know, like, right now, I'm ready to say Tennessee should be a preseason top 10 team. Mm-hmm. But again, maybe it's more of a byproduct of all the unknown of college basketball and the fact that Tennessee has quite a bit of known coming back. All right, so I'm going to take a slightly different um, view of this. And maybe this is like, maybe it's not. I don't really care. Um, So we can look at this one of two ways. And obviously, you know, the the thought of, man, Tennessee, top 10 team in the country. It's like, man, are they? Are are they good enough? And, And that's... 1,000% 1,000% fine because obviously the shock value of seeing number 10 in the country uh, is something. But then while you were talking, I was thinking, what does top 10 in the country actually mean? It means that if you are a top 10 team at the end of the season, guess what? You got beaten the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. Hmm. Uh, and that would not be something that the fan base wants um you you know it 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 looks good like you know it it does look good and it's part of the reason why again i understand why rankings are so important in college athletics but especially in basketball what does it actually mean because in basketball it can't mean much it just doesn't um it's a number it, you I mean it's assigning a value to a team to get people ex, you know to get people to watch certain games because you have ninth ranked such and such playing 11th ranked such and such or first or top ranked such and such playing fifth ranked blah 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 and, and so on and so forth um so I, I I think that Tennessee has built up a reputation over the past few years to be considered one of the top teams in the country just based off of the name. How high? Yeah, if you told me, if you wanted to say 10, um, I'm not going to push back on that. I'm not going to push back at all on Tennessee being a top 10 team in the country. Because if we think of it from that perspective, the top 10 in the country does not mean that the expectations nationally, like outside of Knoxville, are as high as maybe you want them to be. Because, again, if we're just looking at this in theory, top 10 is a sweet – I mean, number 10 in the country is a sweet 16 team. Top 8 means, you know, elite 8. Mm-hmm. I understand there's so many things that go into it. I get it. The <laughs> tournament is weird. I, I'm the first person to say that. Um, I, I get it. I just, I'm just saying expectations. You're not going to put a team 17th in the country 
and then say this is a Final Four team. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So the expectation is that, yeah, this this team could win some games in March. Um, you know, without knowing much more about them, we'll say they can win two. And we'll, we'll just live with those two those two games in March and, 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 it, and let the chips fall where they may. If we're wrong, then we're not going to be wrong by much. Um, so, like, there are a lot of questions. And so that's why whenever, you know, you had posed the previous question, I was like, well, I'm not exactly sure. And then, you know, while you talked, they gave me a couple of minutes to kind of think about how I wanted to, you know, attack it. Um, yeah, like, I think there are, like, very specific questions about this team. Like, can you get a bucket inside if you need it? Uh, Fulkerson could do it occasionally, even last year at the age of 24. Um, Huntley Hatfield occasionally did it, but that wasn't really what he wanted to do. Adu did it on occasion, and so did Eurosh. Uh, Olivier was probably your best consistently at that. Uh, Fulkerson was the way to, a little too up and down for my liking there. Uh, Eurosh was well as well, but I mean, I think there was a point where he had gotten pretty comfortable with himself. So um, if he's fully ready to go and fully, you know, it, those injuries take a little while. Like in terms of just actually getting, you know, getting back into full action, especially you know he'll have twenty thousand people excited to see him back. Um, we'll, we'll see where that is, and then can he and Adu, Adu form a, um, a formidable one-two combination? What happens with Phillips? Where does he fit in the scheme? Because you do have, you do feel pretty good about like four guys starting. Um, you know, obviously the three guards and. Um, and Olivier, and what are you going to do with the other spot? You going to go with they do? You going to go with this five star freshman who could be program changing? Because again, point guards look great, and it's all fine and dandy. Two way wings win in March. Um, that that's a tell as old as time. I mean, national player of the year uh, was the kid from Kansas, and that was a two way six six wing that could play off. That could go score twenty and typically guard your best player. And I think that's what is. That's what he'll do at the next level. Um, that's kind of what Josiah is, two-way wing. Those are the guys that win you games in March. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, if they can if they can have some semblance of that, then they've got a chance to be pretty good this year. But it's so early, and you know nothing about anybody other than Olivier um, in terms of just like what these guys, and, and they do as well, but what will he do with an increased role? Will he start? Uh, is he perfectly fine being first man off the bench if need be? What's your what How many minutes can he give you? Um, where are those fouls going to come from? You know, all, all these little things that, like, if you're a coach and if you're, you know, anybody, like, you're, you're thinking about these things. Where can I get this production from? Can I get 15 points in the paint uh, a game? If we're gonna, are we going to shoot a bunch of threes? What happens when we don't hit those threes? That was always my question last year, especially early on when they were when Kennedy was making like eighty five percent from three point range, um, and everybody was getting really excited because you know Tennessee was shacking up forty threes a game and shooting like forty percent. Um, it was going to happen, and they struggled when those shots didn't fall. It was a Texas Tech game, so there are going to be some of those questions, and it's fair to ask that. Now, thing was last year they got those things answered relatively quick uh you got some production from fulkerson uh down the stretch um you know huntley Hatfield didn't play horribly 
Uh, I think that I just think that there's another level when the guy that's coaching you is a post guy as opposed to more of a guard guy. If you look at you know Tennessee's best players typically, so um, you know I, I don't think you got little production from Huntley Hatfield, but not a lot. I mean, so uh, there are a lot of questions that you know entering this season. So when you look at things from just a hey, okay, Tennessee's the top ten team in the country. Cool. That also means, you know, if you told me that they were top 10 and they were number eight, I'm like, hey, that's an elite eight team. If you're telling me they're 10, you're Sweet 16. And last time I checked, they lived in the Sweet 16 for a little longer than Tennessee fans care to, care to recall. For some context, a couple of different things for some context. Um, at the end of the season last year, in the final like Ken Palm rankings, just for example, Tennessee finished ninth. So, and they started the season preseason 13th in the Ken Palm. So, like, there wasn't a whole lot of fluctuation. I just think that's, you know, Tennessee again finished top 10. But, like you said, Gene, they, I mean, they didn't make it to 16 last year. So, they, you know, that's not, I think that's a really good point that you raised that, you know, in context, what is a top 10 team in college basketball? If unless you're top eight, it's a team that doesn't make it past the Sweet 16. So, that's, you know, if you're 10 or 9th, you're, at least projection wise, you're you're if you're top ten, you're a team that I think people think you can make an elite eight run potentially, and could be an outside shot of a final four team. But usually, the people who think final four teams, they put them in the top five, and they say you're a dark horse if you're in that kind of six to thirteen ish range. Usually, if if you're in that range, it's kind of a oh, this is a dark horse final four team. You're right, like you don't. It's, it's different. I think when you put in that context, it's different. I think that's a really good. Uh, way of thinking about it. So maybe, you know, maybe I, I think you kind of swayed me a little bit to your side of it, or at least that side of it saying, you know, maybe this team should be a, a top 10 team. Some more context too, that I think is really interesting about Tennessee men's basketball. There's only been, Tennessee's only been ranked in the preseason top 25 in men's basketball 16 times ever, which I, that was kind of shocking to me that that's, it's, that's the, like that's the amount Tennessee has been ranked preseason they've obviously ended up uh being ranked more often by the end of the season and also um during the season they've they've ended up becoming ranked by the time you know the season's you know gotten a couple games in or whatever so tennessee's been ranked more than just that but preseason wise tennessee's been a top 25 team only 16 times and i looked at it nine of those have come in the last you know, come since the year 2000 so from you know this millennium i guess uh from 2000 preseason onward and to, you know, and up until last preseason, nine of those 16 times Tennessee's been ranked in the preseason have come in the last 22 seasons, I guess. Um, before that, a lot of not being ranked in the top 25 preseason. And I, I mentioned this at the end of last show too. Tennessee's been a preseason top 10 team only six times in program history. So if they do it this year, it'd be the seventh. Um, it would be the um, second time for Rick Barnes. Yeah, second time for Rick Barnes. They started... The 18-19 season, sixth in the preseason, which was the highest Tennessee's ever been ranked in the preseason. Uh, back in 07-08, or back in the preseason of 07, uh, Bruce Pearl, Tennessee was ranked number seventh in the preseason. In the 1975 preseason under Ray Mears, they were ninth. Jerry Green had them ranked ninth twice uh, in the 1998 preseason and the 2000 preseason. And then Bruce Pearl had them ranked tenth in the 2009 preseason. So uh, it would be historically for Tennessee, I mean, th this has just been an unprecedented, well, I mean, it has been unprecedented for Tennessee, 
it would be an unprecedented run of being in the top 10 because you have, again, 2018 was a top 10 team. 2007 was a top 10 team. 2009 was a top 10 team. That's three times in the past, what, 12 years or so. And if it happens again, it'd be four times in the past 12, 13 years or so. And that's never happened for Tennessee. That's That would be the best stretch for Tennessee ever in terms of preseason rankings. Again, where you, it, it's more important we finish I guess technically where you finish in AP poll, but also where you finish in, in March for that respect too. But I just think that's just such a interesting marker for Tennessee that it's so, we talked about this in the expectations episode, Gene, like it's just so weird and, and interesting and cool to me to look at kind of the expectations of the program over the last 15 years, as opposed to where they were pre Bruce Pearl, especially, but really kind of once you got into the mid two thousands, because even earlier in Bruce Pearl, like it was a big shock that Tennessee was this good. Like I, I remember even being a kid being surprised like how good Tennessee just suddenly was under Bruce Pearl. And then especially when they got, they rose to that number one ranking for the first time ever. Like it was such a shock and a joy because for one, it never happened. But two, that was kind of the start of the decline for football. So like Vol fans are looking for anything uh, to hang their hat on. Obviously you had the Lady Vols too, but uh, you had, you had basketball. It was kind of it because baseball was starting to decline at that point too which, you know, fan, UT fans didn't care as much about baseball back then, nearly as much as they do now, um, not in the mid-2000s and kind of early 2010s especially. But it was just such a shock back then to how good Tennessee was, and then the, that kind of rose the expectations a bit. I wouldn't say maybe a bit. I would argue quite a bit, like we talked about in the last that episode. Um, but it's just it's so interesting to me to see how different the expectations have become. Because like you said, I think Tennessee has earned, under Rick Barnes, they've earned the respect of the media because Barnes already had it I think for what he did at Texas that the media respected him and obviously people did make fun of him then and still make fun of him now for the mishaps in March but overall I, I think he's really he's to me I think Gene he is the most respected head coach in terms of how other coaches view him and how the media views him that Tennessee men's basketball has ever had I I could be wrong maybe Ray Mears was you know more respected than Rick Barnes was back in the day but from my time of being on this earth and, and for, you know, the last 40 years of men's basketball, I don't know that you could argue that any other coach Tennessee's had is more respected, well-liked, and um, esteemed by his peers and by the media than Rick Barnes. Like, I, there's there's no other argument. No, people don't like Bruce Pearl. Like, the fans did. Other coaches don't like Bruce Pearl. Media likes him because he's, like, he's engaging and he says good things, but they also acknowledge that he has a very scummy underbelly. <laughs> he wasn't liked Jerry Green. No, I like Jerry Green. I mean, nobody liked Jerry Green. I don't think Jerry Green likes Jerry Green. Um, look at Kevin O'Neill. He sucked. No one liked him. People didn't like Buzz Peterson. Uh, media had a has a weird soft spot for Conzo Martin, but I don't, I don't think he compares anywhere close to Rick Barnes in terms of respect by the media. And I think coaches respect Conzo Martin because he's a good, I think, good guy. Um, tough-nosed guy, too. I, I think he re- is respected. I just don't think it's to the degree Rick Barnes is. And obviously, you know, Wade Houston was not respected because he did not, <laughs> was not a good coach on the court. So I don't think there's an argument, Gene. I think Rick Barnes is, I, th- I think building off your point, I think he's a guy that part of the reason Tennessee's getting the, the claim they have the last few seasons has been because Rick Barnes is a, he's not a blue blood coach. There needs to be like another whatever that category is that's right below blue blood blue blood i think that's what kind of how Rick barnes is viewed in the coaching world and by media is that he's not he's not a blue blood head coach 
but he's a guy who's been around for a long time, almost won 700 games, or maybe he has won 700 games, I forget now. Um, but he's been around for decades. I mean, he's he's been in college basketball since as a head coach since the late 80s. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Yeah, he's won oh, well over 700 games. He's won 754 games as a head coach. So uh, 150 of those at Tennessee. Uh, sorry, I just kind of rambled. Gene, if you want to share your thoughts on anything I said there before we move on to the next topic, uh, feel free to. I just I, I think you made a good point about kind of how you view the top 10 and also the fact that part of that, I think, too, is the fact that Tennessee and Rick Barnes has garnered a lot of respect because they've been able to produce at a higher level than what Tennessee uh, has normally produced at um, in men's basketball, at least. Uh, no, good. We, we can go ahead and move on. All right. Well, then we'll move on to the last topic here. Uh, this one, I think, is we're bringing up Field of 68 again, uh, which if you aren't familiar with who they are, if you had listened to one of the previous podcasts where we talked about uh, their ranking of the top recruiters and recruiting head coaches in college basketball. Uh, their bio reads that they are a college basketball podcasting network that brings together a new generation of creators and the kind of content you can only get from people that live the game. So basically they're their big podcasting network that talks about college basketball. They have some team specific podcasts they do too, but they, a lot of the people who are on the podcast for them um, are former players and, you know, played at a high level too, in a lot of cases. So uh, they, I think overall they do a good job. We've, we've talked about them multiple times here on the, uh, on the show for, both good and bad reasons for if you're a Vol fan for both uh, negative and positive things. But bringing it up here now, Gene, because uh, they're teasing this almanac they have up coming out, which is why we talked about the recruiting rankings for Rick Barnes and where he ranks among head coaches. But they're also now teasing kind of their top 100 players in college basketball. And there's a Tennessee player right now. They're they're going through on their Twitter and kind of giving the rankings without any um, – I guess without context technically, but you know, without any kind of breakdowns and stuff and teasing their uh, almanac that's coming out, we can pre-order it. It's called the almanac, the year of the big uh, they're teasing it for 20% off right now. They've, they've collaborated with um, three man weave VC and HC, which I forget what those stand for, but I know three man weave. Um, I've followed several of the guys who work for three man weave and then they're, I think they're pretty good in my opinion. Um, but they are doing the top 100. They're in the forties now, but a, a few almost, I guess, a week and a half ago at this point, they had the grouping of 69 through 72. And Tennessee players in 72, it might not be the one you're thinking. It's Josiah Jordan James. And Vescovy has been nowhere to be found so far. Uh, he wasn't in, he wasn't before Josiah that I saw, uh, unless I missed him. He wasn't, he wasn't anywhere in the 73 to 100 range, unless, again, unless I just missed him. And he hasn't been anywhere since then. And I, I don't think he's going to be a top... 40 top 30 type player maybe i could be wrong maybe they have him in the 35 to 40 range gene but i feel like josiah might end up being the only player on tennessee's roster who ends up being in this top 100 if that's the case i think it's interesting to me that he's the he's the one they chose um i my gut would have said vescovy would have been higher ranked because of his offensive prowess but the more i thought about it i thought you know maybe it makes more sense for josiah to be there because of his offensive game coming on like it did last year. And the fact that he's even before his offense came on, he was a, an elite defender as soon as he got on campus for Tennessee. Like he's been, he, he might've been Tennessee's best defender as soon as he hit the roster every year since then, he's going to be Tennessee's best defender this year. You add in when he does rebounding, you add in the fact that he's not a bad ball handler. He's a good passer uh, from his wing spot. And uh, when he's able to dish back out, when he's driving to the basket and stuff too, um, 
I mean, I, I actually think, you know, it makes sense for him to be the highest rated player on Tennessee's roster from the field of 68's perspective. Again, unless Vescovy sneaks into that top 40, um, between 30 and 40, I, I don't, because I don't think it'd be top 30. Um, Gene, what's it say about the team that Josiah is probably the highest rated player, at least, you know, by one service, by the field of 68? What does it say about Tennessee, in your opinion, that Josiah is viewed as the best player on the team? by the field of 68 and, and yet it's not being a Vescovy, it's not being someone else. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just simply that they like the entire skill set matters. And obviously I don't want anything to be taken as knocks on any particular players or anything of that nature, but the entire skill set matters. I mean, like, you know, you could, you know, you put Josiah in the 70s at 72, and if that kid was, if he was a consistent finisher, you could make an argument that he'd be way higher. I mean, because that's really the biggest knock with his game is he just probably is not a great finisher for a guy his size. Um, but he literally does everything else on the basketball court. Rebounds, he guards, you know, four or five positions. Uh, he can guard bigs, he can guard, you know, wings, he can guard point guards. Um, you know, he's a good passer. Like he does all those things and, um, and that matters in this day. I mean, I just made the comment earlier about how, you know, like you win with wings in college basketball, in college basketball, you win with wings, two way wings at any level in the, in the, you know, in the professional ranks, you know, like you're, you have to have, I mean, heck people were trying to argue for Andrew Wiggins being MVP of the finals <laughs> for the Warriors because he had one good game. And plus, there's obviously a you know, faction of people who just didn't, you know, just look for reasons to not give it to Steph Curry. But I mean, but again, like that was also very huge for the Warriors. You don't win without Wiggins, you know, the way Wiggins play that, you know, he'll give you 20 points a game and guard the other team's best player. That matters um, at every level, regardless of the guards. You, you know, you can have all the flashy point guards and everything you want. You win with two way wings you just do that's that ends up being the difference um and, and so if you have a kid a guy like josiah um the that's a guy who can do all those things that are necessary um and i unfortunately i don't think that vescovy will be there because i don't think one way or the other uh it, if people want to make the art if people want to make their own arguments that vescovy's better so be it but he's not appreciably better Josiah, which means that if you're telling me there's it's it'll be hard for me to see him being 35 spots better, yeah. And basically, we're in the range of like being 30 spots better, yeah, than Josiah, for, yeah. And for I for just, some context, the guys who they just announced for 41 through 44 uh, were Caleb Daniels of Villanova, Darius McGee of I think Liberty, yeah, Liberty, uh, Harrison Ingram for Stanford, and then Darren Holmes the second for Dayton. So those are that guy. And then in the forty-five, forty-eight was uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. for Illinois, Tyrese Hunter, who all fans will know because we talked about him on the podcast, uh, and Timmy Allen for Texas. So Timmy Allen and Tyrese Hunter forty-six, forty-seven, then PJ Hall, who was also a Tennessee recruit target uh, for Clemson for forty-eight. So that, that's the range we're in right now. So for context for all fans is best be on the same level as those guys basically, or, or better, I guess, technically uh, by the field of 68 standards. Right. And, and what we're in, and when you watch a guy like best game, 
his greatest attribute, and you talked about it before, is his shooting. Um, are you going to put a shooter, top 40 player in the country, and, like, fact, you know, fair foul? I mean, that's just, I think that's his, his greatest trait is that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, scoring and shooting. Now, he's not a bad playmaker. Um, I, I never thought he was great at it, but I never thought he was bad either. He doesn't make bad decisions, but a lot of his passes are just made to look, <laughs> hate to say it like this, but always felt like there was probably a little more pizzazz than was necessary, which is fair. It's fair. I, not, not a big deal. I mean, you know, that's, I'm 41 years old. I mean, generationally, that's probably, you know, looks a lot different. So, uh, there's a lot of things I see my son do, who's 17. You know, I watch he and his teammates play ball, and I'm just like, did you really have to do that? <laughs> but, I mean, and so, but and that's just, that's just some of it's just me, but, and I'm, I'm admitting my own biases there, but, uh, you know, like, like, I think that he's just at his core, mainly a scorer. And I think nationally he's perceived that way. You've got a guy on that field of 68 panel um, in Terrence Oglesby, who was an amazing shooter. Amazing. Go look up some Terrence Oglesby shooting highlights. Like, I understand y'all, everybody, you know, is is angry because of something he said last year. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he said something that ticked off a bunch of Tennessee fans. Oh, uh, he was talking about how physical, about how they didn't call a bunch of fouls in the game. And Tennessee's a physical team and they got away with some stuff. That was a this. And I don't remember exactly how he framed it, but that was that was the gist of it. But you go, yo, go type in Terrence Oglesby. Now, obviously, you know, you see how his career ended. You know, fair foul. The run, you know, can't do what he did in his last college basketball game. That will get you ejected ten times out of ten. But in terms of his shooting ability, so Terrence knows somebody like he's he's seen a person like Besky before because that's kind of who he was. As a player, like mm-hmm. I covered, I covered Terrence when he was at Bradley Central High School here in Cleveland. Um, I saw a little bit of him at Clemson. That guy will shoot from thirty, so he knows shooters. And I could, I could make an argument that he's probably a similar sort of player to a guy like Vescovy. Um, and, and so that's just it's different there. Like it's that's a different skill set. That's a different talent. Uh, there's a different level of importance there. Um, it's a little easier, fair, again, fair or foul, a little easier to find a 6'2", 6'3", shooter in this day and age than it is to find a guy who's 6'6", and can play uh, multiple positions. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like, it, it's... I would be interested to see, like, exactly, again, I, I don't think he's going to be top 30 uh top 40 even in the field of 60 i'd be interested to see where they would if if they you know if i were to ask somebody that does stuff for the field of 68 because they have, they have a pretty good staff over the stuff i know uh, uh, guys like sean paul and brian ralph and Andy decoff like I, i've had them on the podcast before i think or maybe when they were we had the sec podcast i forget um but i know i've talked with them before i i, I think it might have been we we're still an sec podcast that i had a couple of those guys on but i know i've had sean paul on before because of his name and 
<laughs> yep. I, can't, I can't think of anybody but the uh, the, um, the rapper, the hip hop. I'm, I'm singing. I'm singing the song in my head right now. <laughs> uh, and I'm serious. Like that was that goes back to a different time for me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I heard this top top. I've heard they, there's a there was a song they were playing in the gym the other day, and it was Sean Paul. And I was like, man, this takes me back. Uh, well, the problem is there. The problem is there's two different Sean Pauls. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is the Sean Paul from Young, uh, Young Bloods, uh, and then of course there was the Sean Paul. Uh, I don't really care what people say. I don't, yeah, that that guy. So, yeah, there's two different ones. But either way, I feel bad for the actual Sean Paul because he has been drugged into this conversation. Now, what we're now talking about. Um, reggae guys and you know hip-hop <laughs> artists from atlanta so uh, um, yeah yeah to my i think I, oh yeah to my point <laughs> i forgot what i was talking about gosh uh about vescovy I, I would be curious to see where they'd have him actually ranked if he's you know just outside the top 100 but it, in in you know it doesn't matter tennessee if you go back to go back to a couple of tennessee's best teams they had grant williams obviously would have been you know rick barnes best team grant williams would have been top what 20 probably if not better in, in terms of like ranking top players because he was invited to um oh god i forgot the award whatever award that zion won that year the basically best player in college basketball naismith the naismith um, award yeah. yeah he he was invited like he was there in attendance for that so he's considered by some to be one of the top you know six ten at least top ten players in college basketball so obviously he would have been there but how many other guys on that team would have been in the top 100 you'd had admiral i would say but even preseason stuff i don't no, I don't think people would have put Jordan Bone there. People wouldn't have put Bowden. They wouldn't have put Turner. They wouldn't have put Alexander. Like I, I think you would have had Grant and Admiral. I think Admiral would. Have. Yeah, Grant, Grant yeah. and Admiral would be the two guys. That'd be it. Like, yeah. How many of Tennessee's best teams have had a, a bunch of top one hundred, top fifty type players? Because you look at the one that made the Elite Eight run. I mean, your best player, at least from a potential perspective, got kicked off the team mid year, and Tyler Smith. Like he was your he was the guy that had the best I guess NBA potential of anybody on that roster, um, from what you would consider like a star ranking you know perspective. Wayne Chisholm was a well, was the best player on that team in my opinion. I guess you could throw in um, I just forgot some of the roster that J, I mean JB J, J. Prince was an athlete. I don't he wouldn't be in there, but I mean Chisholm wouldn't have been super high up. Cam Tatum, yeah, like I, I would not even have. then like I don't think Bobby he, Mays. Yeah, no. preseason those guys wouldn't have been like. The, the bunch of top 100 players. Wayne Chisholm might have been in top 100, but he would have been, you know, kind of where Josiah is in that range, and maybe even lower ranked than Josiah. Yeah. Like you wouldn't have had a whole lot of top 100 players from that team. So this isn't to say that you know just because some publication doesn't you know just has just Josiah, not Vescovy, and not other guys ranked in top 100 players in college basketball that Tennessee's oh maybe they are going to underachieve. Some of Tennessee's best teams have had. A lot of I wouldn't say no name, but a lot of guys that aren't considered the elite of the elite players, and Tennessee still had some success and still won you know conference titles have, have gone on and made you know Sweet Sixteen to Elite Eight runs in, in the tournament. So like you don't that's that's the beauty of college basketball, Gene, is that you don't need a superstar to go make a run. Like you look at the we I mean look we highlighted a few times before. I mean the, that Baylor team had some really darn good players. But they didn't have a Naismith winner. They didn't have, like, you had some, again, you had really good all-conference players and really good players on that team. But you don't have to go be a, a Kentucky or a Duke or North Carolina and land multiple five stars in a recruiting class to go have a successful season and then a successful postseason run in college basketball. In football, 
you kind of have to recruit well and kind of have to yeah, in the transfer portal land a lot of transfers to be good. Like it's hard a lot because of the the size of the roster, especially it's a lot harder in football to have success and not be, you know, not have a bunch of top 100 guys or top, you know, high end players, blue chip prospects. You can do that in basketball a lot easier because it's obviously a much different game. It's a much different style of play from what football is with the athleticism and with just hot and cold shooting nights, but also with the size of the rosters, it's a significantly smaller roster than football. So you don't need as many talented players. If, if you have a, a roster that is comprised of really solid players, there's a good chance you can punch up and beat up, you know, beat a team that is ranked higher than you and thought to be better than you because you work better as a team and have more team chemistry or you're just a better team that night. So there's just a lot more parity in college basketball. So my point in all that was that, you know, Tennessee may just have Josiah viewed as this guy. And that, again, this is just one publication. I'll be really interested to see when we get closer to the season, Gene, you know, who, when we have the preseason all SEC teams, how many Vols get on there? Because I think both Vescovy and Josiah get on there are either one of those guys' first team guys. There's a good chance I think one of them will be. I'll be interested to see it. But does Ziegler get on there? You know, how many preseason all SEC teams or all SEC members you know, does Tennessee have on this roster? Because I think that to me is going to be intriguing to see just because it goes back to the whole respect and prestige that Rick Barnes has earned kind of thing. I think that goes back to that. And the fact that those guys are multi-year players, those are guys that Barnes and his staff identified and really wanted. Um, and especially in Josiah's case, I mean, they beat out, you know, a Duke and Clemson for Josiah and obviously Clemson basketball is not what Clemson football is, but they're still respected. Uh, for the most part, and obviously Duke is Duke, but um, I think this team is still, it's it just, it, like you said, rankings don't matter in sports period, but they really particularly, I don't think matter a ton in basketball. <laughs> like it's just, I think we talked about this last week and last at the end of the episode teaching. It just, it just does not matter about rankings in basketball. Football, it doesn't matter. Baseball, it doesn't like the rankings don't matter because it's just opinions for the most part of, of how people view things. But like, Man, in basketball, like, it's almost stupid how much rankings don't matter. But then also how much we pay attention. Like, there's whole organizations built out there on rankings, like Kim Palm. Like, and I, I think Kim Palm's smart. I think he does a good job what he does. But you have him, you have, I mean, there's just so many. I have Haslam, Eric Haslam, who've on the podcast before. Like, I love the work he does, all his analytics and stuff. I mean, you could have the 195th ranked team go out and, and upset the number five ranked team in Ken Palm and it not be a massive shocker to me because that's college basketball. You have a, a 16 seed beat a one seed. You had you had Kentucky lose to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament. Like that stuff like that, you don't get in football. Um, you don't really get a whole lot of that in baseball either, because at least in college baseball, because you have series for one. Um, but like just that's that's the beauty of college basketball is that on any given night almost any team can beat almost any other team that that's just the beauty of college basketball why i i love the sport so much is because you don't know like you don't know any given night anything can happen yeah and, and i think that's what makes it that's that is what makes it good i mean and, and like when you when you look at the rankings and like i said I, i'm always you know mr anti-ranking probably to a lot of people's like you know frustration because they're like, man, why doesn't he care about it? You know, this five star guy we got. It, it, let me pose this because I was just thinking about this again while you were talking. 
Um, a few years ago, if Field of 68 were doing this, follow me down this road, um, where do you think they would have, where do you think they would have ranked um, Zion? You think Zion gets ranked in that top ten, that top ten poll, that top one hundred? In preseason, uh, yes, because wasn't he a yeah? Was he a one overall recruit that year? I think so. Uh, he was close to it. If he wasn't, yeah. Uh, next question: Do you think they would have done the same thing with R.J. Barrett, who was a high, more highly ranked recruit in that class? Yeah, because I think and Cam Reddish. Yeah, because they say Cam, RJ, and Zion were all top ten players in that recruiting cycle, so they probably would have been, probably would have been at least top fifteen, if not top ten, players going into that season. So, I guess my question is, do you think they do anything with say Julian Phillips? Hmm, I don't know why, Gene. He'd never crossed my mind. That is, but you make a very good point. He's a guy because, who was a, a yeah, like a bona fide five star, top twenty prospect. Like he's he wasn't just a, a borderline five star. He, like he was a very highly regarded five star. That's a really good. He question. may not like he probably won't because I just can't see you doing that with a guy that he wasn't highly ranked enough. Um, like I imagine that Imani Bates last year would have probably been there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't even really think of the top prospects this year. I, I hate know. I hate that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that would be the one. Well, I'll say for context, that, the the South Carolina kid, Gigi Jackson, he was in the forties. Like he, I just looked at him. He was one of the ones that was. Um, in like the around the 40 50 range so he was number one i mean so, again, yeah. that's different than zion but he was a guy who's in that 40 50 range and he was you know considered by some as the number one prospect right and so that's what now was it would he have been number one in 2022 right because i know he was i know he was one in 2023 mm-hmm. uh but i mean maybe he would have maybe one i don't know but that's i think that's where that's where to me it would get kind of interesting it's just in the fact that uh oh okay like that would be the one that some people would maybe get upset about because well the, you know he hadn't done anything but also as a credit to the fact that the kid is a highly regarded prospect and uh you know and he, it's it, I don't know how that would be handled like if he if you put him at like say 39 Mm-hmm. And and there's no basketball on the list. Like, how would the fan base feel about that? Because sometimes it's, you know, because college basketball is not about production. When you're looking at these rankings and stuff, right? It's not. It's not. Like sometimes you'll see, you'll see first team preseason all conference kids that are freshmen and like really, um, mm-hmm. can they play a game first? But <laughs> that's that's what they do. And sometimes I think, uh, I think BJ Boston was a couple years ago for, yep. for Kentucky and we see how that turned out. Um, so like, I, I wouldn't be stunned if that was the case. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case, but I mean, I think that's just, that was just a, another Avenue to go down because like that's, that would be something that would be a very college basketball thing to do. And look, man, sometimes it's just, Sometimes it's people, I'm not saying it's the case here, but 
it would be the ultimate troll job for somebody like the field of 68 who has somebody who may not be the biggest fan of Tennessee on there to put somebody on the, on the top 100, uh, not the kid who's, you know, probably nearing what eight, 900 close to a thousand points in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead choosing some freshman who hadn't played and only who hadn't played a minute and only chose <laughs> the school and only chose the school because the school that he did, he chose fired his coach amidst amid an NCAA investigation, mm-hmm. which, um, will probably, you know, I, I don't know what happens with, uh, the coach. Um, but yeah, um, that's how the kid ended up at your school in the first place. So uh, that would be an ultimate troll job, but I'm not, that's, I don't think that's the case. I just think that that's this whole thing is just, you know, expectations. Um, You're looking at a guy who, you know, can do a lot of things. And that's why you put a kid like that on the list. By the way, for those who are interested, the, uh, at least on two or seven, the top five recruits for this 2022 cycle that are now, you know, going to be freshmen this year were, Derek Lively the second, who went to Duke, Dreek Whitehead who went to Duke, <laughs> Nick Smith who went to Arkansas. Just that's you know really good pull for them. Kyle Flapowski who went to Duke, and then Dill Mitchell who went to Texas, and then number six was uh, Gigi Jackson for South Carolina. So, man, just uh, th- th- that's like we just talked about it. That's like that whatever 2018-19 haul for Duke that had three of the top five players that went to Duke. You know, they they got they literally got three of the top four players on two or seven in this class. So that that's another reason why Duke is um maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why they had John Shire ranked so high, Gene, on the recruiting list. I didn't realize how good of a job uh he did in his one recruiting cycle so far. Again, I don't want to rehash what we said last week, but about why he maybe shouldn't be as high as he is because he's not even been a head coach yet. But dang, that's a good haul for your first for your first recruiting haul as a head coach. Getting three of the top four guys by a service like, gosh, that's really good. Um, so yeah, Tennessee. By the way, uh, Julian Phillips is ranked thirteenth in the two or seven. I think this is the composite rankings. Yeah, in the two or seven composite, he was thirteenth. Uh, then he was nineteenth in their regular rankings. Um, don't know where he was in. Um, on three, I looked that up really quick before we end the show because now I'm curious um, where he was on on three. Uh, it was actually a four star on there. Interesting. Uh, they had him ranked lower than anybody. He was 45 overall on on three, and that's interesting. Oh wait, but then over here they have him as 13th as the consensus. So I don't know. He was a third. He's a five star on their consensus, but it looks like on the actual on three ranking he was rated lower. So I don't know. It, it I guess it depends on. Okay, I guess that's wrong because now it's okay. Here's the actual ranking. I don't know where the 45 thing is, but that's what's showing right now on the college rating. But then on the actual on three thing here, had him 15th. So 15th on on three, 19th and two four seven, 14th on rivals, and then ESPN have 13th. So he's a consensus top 20 prospect and kind of around that 15th um, ranking. So I mean, you're right, Gene. I mean, I, I think that was a good. I don't know why he didn't cross my mind because he is a really high rate prospect. So I, I will be interested to see if he's the guy that uh, sneaks in there. But like you said, I don't know that. I don't know that they'll rank him that high because I don't. You know, I, I think they'll rank Duke's players up there. I'll be interested to see where their freshmen come in or where you know Nick Smith for Arkansas comes in um, because those are top five prospects. And I, I will be intrigued to see kind of where they land on those lists, but. We're talking about preseason list. We're in the list season right now of college basketball. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to games and getting closer and closer to the season, Gene, but we're still 
enlist season, and we will be for another solid month or so here. But that'll be it for this episode. I do want to thank all of you who tuned in and who, if you got this far, thank you so much. You listened to over an hour worth of a podcast about pretty much all about Tennessee basketball. So really, thank you so much for that. That means a lot to me. It means a lot to Gene. It means a lot to just all of us here who do things for the show behind the scenes or here in front of the camera slash behind the mic. So thank you all so much. Again, if you're on YouTube, give this video a like and share it around. And if you listen to this podcast, obviously share that around too and, and leave us a review. Uh, a five-star review would be fantastic. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. This has been another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.